0: this podcast for the BJSM community, where some of you will be following on from the first part of a conversation between Professor Kay Crosley from La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia, and Professor Pedro Sullivan from Curtin University in Perth. The first podcast was about the approach to the patient, the assessment, and what to tell them about their state of health. But this part is now going to be about treatment and managing patients who have pain for a reasonably long period of time, they have anxiety, and how do you actually treat those patients? So we'll begin with Professor Kay Cosley and ask her to set a scene for this patient, and then Peter and Kay will discuss it.
1: Thanks, Karim. I suppose I just wanted to think about not only what we do as physiotherapists when a patient walks in to see us, but where the patient sits within the healthcare system. So there are things that we can manage when the patient's in the room with us, which I think we'll talk about, uh, Peter and I. But also, like if a patient um, presents, for example, to a doctor or to another health professional with knee pain or back pain, what is the first line of treatment? Where do those people go? Where is the healthcare money being prioritised? And I think increasingly we're seeing, um, particularly in the knee but also in the back and the shoulder and, and probably every condition that's looked at, that surgery perhaps is a, is a lower value option for patients and yet it's, incre- it's being used, not necessarily increasingly, but certainly at a high, higher level than it should be for the evidence that's supporting it. And I think we know now at the knee from multiple randomised control trials and systematic reviews that knee arthroscopy adds no benefit above any alternative, whether it be placebo surgery, whether it be exercise therapy or whether it be any other alternatives. Um, And yet it's still being used, it's still being rebated by many health insurers and governments and, and the costs of, say, delivering exercise therapy or physiotherapy to patients with knee pain and knee osteoarthritis is a lot less. Um, there's good evidence to show that it works and yet we're still not doing it. So I think I probably wanted to start this talking about, you know, where where do these exercise therapies or physiotherapies fit within um, the the overall treatment of a patient with knee pain or back pain. So, um, Pete, perhaps I'll get your thoughts on that as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, the the story of the back is such a parallel story where um, so often people will get early imaging, um, and we know that early imaging is a you know is a trigger for more injections. Um, early early intervention, surgical interventions, and um, and also increased drug therapy. So so it's almost like it becomes this cascade effect where if you image early, and a lot of the imaging that's done is not guideline based. So there's very clear guidelines around the need and importance of imaging, and, and that's not to say that it's not important because for a group of people it's really important. Uh, but for a lot of patients it, where it's not indicated it is uh, happens very early in that process, and that tends to then send them down this focused structural approach, which is often leads to invasive treatments, which you know, and, and in the back actually the outcomes are poorer than the, you know in, in other areas um, where you know up to 30 percent of people have had, say spinal fusion and no better or worse. Um, and the, the expense and the complications are significant as well.
0: I'm hearing two concepts because Kay's talking about uh, surgery and funding and how someone maybe gets money for exercise. So there's a macro level of where does exercise fit in, even in policy Mm. perhaps. And the other one is at the clinical level where a patient might decide whether to go to a doctor or go to a physiotherapist. Why don't you begin Mm. with one of those settings, Kay?
1: Well, I suppose they're all linked. That's the the thing. So if... um I mean, at the, at the end of the day, how things are funded will probably ultimately determine what treatment cho- choices pe- people make. So if um, at the moment in countries like Australia, it's actually cheaper to go to a GP, get referred to a surgeon, have a knee arthroscopy for the patient, there's less cost for the patient than to then see a physiotherapist and have exercise therapy. And we know that 12 months down the track, there'd be the, certain, the person who's had the arthroscopy is going to be no better. Uh, it's going to cost more money to the patient, more money to the community to have done that. And they're probably still going to have deficits in terms of muscle strength and all of you know fear of movement and a whole lot of other things as well that haven't been addressed. So I think at a macro level, I think we would all like things to change in terms of prioritising um, exercise therapy and physiotherapy. And I think um, physiotherapists and sports physicians are really aligned in, in that sort of push worldwide to try and have that. But then I do agree that at at the patient level, I think that's where doctors and physiotherapists can work much better together, whereas the doctors are the ones that are currently referring for MRI and other imaging. And and in some places, obviously, physiotherapists can do that as well. Um, But if the doctors could align with the physios in terms of having um, a high value um, priority, which is um, send them to physiotherapy, get some good quality exercise therapy first, then if they're still struggling, you know, that's perhaps when they might consider some of the alternative Um, And as Pete says, notwithstanding the cases where obviously imaging is required as a first treatment. So I think there's two elements to this. And and as clinicians, obviously, we've got more um, scope to change the the latter of those. So what a doctor does when a, a patient walks in the room. And then obviously, Pete and I probably want to talk a bit about what a physio does then when the physio turns up at the physiotherapy practice as well.
2: Yeah, one of the things that springs to mind is um, I wonder how much of this is a cultural shift in our society that we want quick fixes. And so the idea of going to see someone who educates you and gives you stuff to do around self-management doesn't feel like a quick fix. So, um, and, and the other part of it, I think, comes down to um, what are fundamental societal beliefs around pain is that, you know, there are a number of studies that have looked around um, back pain beliefs showing that people think that the back's easy to damage and hard to heal um, And that if you have a back problem that, you know, you need to get it fixed and you need to get it scanned. So we're actually um, dealing with um, very strong belief systems that are pervasive within society so that will influence the kind of pressures that um patients may put on doctors as well and and it may reflect the kind of beliefs that um, you know medical doctors have themselves, and I think there's pretty good evidence for that. And so you know there are fundamental belief systems that probably drive this process as well.
1: If you're a doctor and a patient came to you and said, "Look, I really want to have an MRI, my back's really stuffed, I've had pain for ages or my knees really stuffed, it's been you know painful for ages. What are some of the things perhaps a doctor could say to a patient then?
2: Um, that's a really good question, and and um, you know I suppose when it comes down to it, there's that confidence of understanding uh, what the guidelines are, and uh, and and that is so if it's a back, for example, if you don't have a history of trauma, if you don't have neurological deficit, if um, if there's a clear history and mechanism that, that is associated with disorder. That suggest that the mechanical factors or you know modifiable factors might be involved. There there is no indication to image, and so to actually say to the person, look, based on my interview and examination, I think that's the key is being really thorough in the history taking and on the examination, that provides the therapist the the patient confidence to say, look, there's nothing in that in that picture. Uh, that is gonna change, that, that imaging will change the way we'll manage you, but there are actually really, there's good evidence that this course of action is likely to be very helpful for you. Let's use that as a trial period and let me review you. Um, so I'm giving you the best evidence um, care. I'm not denying you care, but I'm giving you the best care and then I'll come back and let's review you again. And I think that having the confidence to do that is something that's often lacking.
1: Look, that's a really strong message, and I think it's something that lots of the physiotherapy associations around the world are really trying to grab onto. And I know in Australia, they have a Choose Physio campaign, and I think it's Physio First in the US. So trying to get this concept that let's give physiotherapy a go before we even go down some of these other lines, and I think obviously would be supportive of that. But then, obviously, physiotherapists have a responsibility to give high-value treatment as well, right? So when the patient then comes to us from self-referral or, or referred from a doctor, what are some of the things – and, you know, Karim started the first podcast talking about sort of worldwide trends in this area – what are some of the things that, that we need to be aware of as physiotherapists to make sure we are actually then delivering this high-value treatment?
2: Yeah, it's a great it's a great one, and we're involved in a bit of education around uh, GPs. And one of the things that we hear them say is, look, we send the the patients off to the physio, and they get, you know, interventional um, ultrasound and hot packs, um, and then we're dealing with the fallout of that. And and I think you know a lot of physiotherapists have really moved well beyond that process, but I don't think we've um, we've educated the GPs around the, the shift in physiotherapy in the last few years. That a lot of, phys- honestly, a lot of doctors think that we give patients massage and that's all we do. Uh, so I think we've got a really big job to educate uh, the medical profession that actually there is high value in um, in providing really uh, targeted, effective uh, education and providing, um, uh, you know, effective, targeted, um, exercise programs to get people back to doing the things that are important for them uh, and they are like the core, at the core of what we do. Some of those other things that um, we may use in terms of hand, hands-on techniques may be adjuncts, but they can't replace those core aspects of care. That's something that I think we need to get a message out to both, um, you know, health professionals who may become refer, uh, referrers as well as the patients themselves.
1: I couldn't agree more, Pete. And I suppose just to differentiate core, you don't mean core stability. You mean the (laughs) the critical component of what underpins physiotherapy. And I think uh, certainly from a research point of view, there is absolutely no doubt that exercise therapy is is the critical ingredient in any physiotherapy that we would deliver to any part of the body, and I think that um, like that's just a resounding yes across the board, and and we don't need you know in some cases like for NeoA, we don't need any more studies showing that exercise therapy works like we're done with RCTs in that area, so we know really clearly that if we can get people strong that we're going to change their pain, improve their function, so I totally agree that that really has to be the focus of what we do. I suppose what I want to give you my experience at the knee and then sort of get your thoughts in the back is that I often see patients who have been to other physios and have tried other exercise programs and I know doctors will hear, but I've been to a physio and I've tried exercise. you know. And my message then has to be, well, my job as a physio, because I've had all this training, I've seen tons of patients, is to actually find the best exercise for you. So it's not to say exercise isn't going to work, it's just that right now we haven't found it. So like, we know at the knee that you can do a walking program or you can do a hydrotherapy program or you can do a cycling program or you can do strength work or you could do power work. And sure, there might be studies trying to see whether some types of exercises are better for patients than others. But as a clinician, then you just need to work through these And the other thing I just want to comment on, and we know this and we've heard it before, but, you know, we have to say it again, is the best exercise is the one the patient will do. And so, you know, you might come up with this most amazing exercise therapy and if they're not going to do it, like it's not going to have any effect. So, you know, part of the shared decision making needs to be exercise is critical to your recovery. And so what exercise can you do? So do you want to go join a walking group and walk three times a week with your friends or do you want to go to the gym on your own or do you want a home exercise program or do you want to do Pilates? So I think um, like getting that adherence is really, really important um, because exercise therapy is the, the critical component of what we do.
2: That, that's very, very much the case in the lower back uh, literature as well, that, you know, when you compare a whole bunch of variety of different exercise programs, and there are lots out there, um, it, it looks like the effects are pretty similar. The, the question, I think, that really becomes important here is how do you, as, and you're alluding to that, how do you get people to adhere to something? And, and patient preference is obviously the key. Uh, and letting the patient lead that process, you know patient-led care around the person actually saying look What are the things that you really want to do in your life? We will orientate people to that So if it's walking your kids to school, that's fantastic um, The other thing that I think is important though is the dose so you know doing that once a week is just not going to be enough um, uh, and so making sure people are clear about that there is enough Activity or exercise—that's going to have a, a therapeutic effect. I think is probably the other the other aspect um, that is also important, and and I probably that also tips into some of those factors that we talked about in the earlier stage. What do you do with someone who's really frightened to exercise, or well, every time they do it, it hurts them, so it has an adverse experience, and that whole idea of um, I think you alluded to, Kay, that. It's okay to have a degree of, of discomfort when you start to exercise, and it's actually quite common, but actually seeing that process through is often you'll see that there's a slight increase, and then it will tailor off, and making clear to the patient that you, you know that's part of the journey.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I was going to bring that back to you, and I think early on we talked about assessment, but um, you and I couldn't help talking about treatment, I think, because more and more we see this interaction between how we're assessing patients is actually then determines what we would do in treatment. Do you know what I mean? And so working out which activities they're fearful of will help you to work out which activities they need to be trained to be less fearful of. And so sometimes the exercises are determined by your assessment um, as well. The other thing leading sort of on from two of those things, Pete, um, is actually, you know, in the first podcast, I talked about the importance of physios um, discussing weight management with patients and how we shouldn't be afraid of that. But I think the other thing is talking about physical activity. And, and I think that needs to be part of our assessment as well. How much physical activity are you getting? And then as part of, you know, I actually separate them in my treatment plan. So how do we actually get your physical activity versus how do we improve your function? Um, because for some people, You know, they might like to be running a marathon, but right now they need to get their physical activity out of riding a bike or swimming, um, and that parallels them doing their strength work or functional improvement. So I think it is really important, and when you talk about dose, that, um, that we have physical activity as a separate dose from retraining function. And to pick up on your other point too about the load management is some expectation of discomfort with exercise is absolutely critical and and then they shouldn't be fearful of that pain and they need to realise that that pain isn't going to cause them any future damage, Um, like your second case earlier about the lady who every time she bends down hurts her back. and then talking about the importance of gradually increasing load over time, and and how they're actually going to get from where they are now to what they want to be able to get back to, and, and having that long term plan, and I think that helps with the adherence as well. So you have you know, like your long term goals might be a year away, and then having obviously the shorter goals along the way might be just to pick up the kids, you know, in a month's time, something like that.
2: You know what you're what you're highlighting is so much aligned to the the approach we're taking in the back. Um, of the importance of physical activity, but actually to manage the person, uh, you know, tar- targeted exercises as a mechanism of getting them back to the things they want to do. But that doesn't replace the importance of in- engaging in uh, physical activity of their preference. Totally
0: That's fantastic. I'm really loving being a listener and a fly on the wall in this conversation between two of the world's <laughs> leading physiotherapists and hearing common themes, which include changing the social norms at a couple of levels so there really needs to be a cultural shift among both doctors and the public about the role of physiotherapy and the evidence base on of the evidence base of physiotherapy isn't understood as well as it should be and hopefully This can change and physios can be an active part of that, but they need help from doctors and they need help from public health groups so that patients understand there is a very, very solid foundation for for exercise-based physiotherapy. I'm just going to pitch it for your closing comments. First, Professor Kay Crosley.
1: I think that the important thing that we all recognise is that exercise therapy is the critical ingredient in rehabilitation from probably every chronic musculoskeletal pain condition that would cross our doors. So as physiotherapists, we need to be better at delivering it. We need to be better at engaging people um, to do it. And we need to get better buy-in from the people who refer to us and from the public. But we also have a responsibility to educate as well.
0: And before we pitch it to you, Peter, that reminded me, I was going to say as a doctor, we should feel really comfortable referring with confidence to a physiotherapist and explaining the benefits. When I was a doctor and referring patient to a physio, I wasn't making it a token thing or filling out a form. I'd use that as an active two minutes to explain the benefits of why they should go to the physiotherapist, which gives us back to Simon Sinek's great point of always begin with why. And it's like the physiotherapist Mm. is going to help you get the strength back and is going to get you the range of motion back and you're able to Mm. do the things. And she will show you the exercises that you specifically need to do. And so the doctor needs Mm. to see this as an up adding value and um, really convincing in a good way so that the patient doesn't get confused with these other things rather than yeah go to the physio and so having specialist physios knowing the names of physios having a relationship with physios I'll just put that in as the doctor plug for our doctor listeners that it's a very active process and Peter to close out the podcast from you
2: yeah look I, I, one of those points that you've made there Karen I think is spot on and that we can value add to patient care pathways by getting every healthcare practitioner engaged in that process. And one of the things that we see as an obstacle for, for change for patients is when they've been told that their knee's stuffed, they need a joint replacement or their back stuffed and they can't go back to work. That becomes a massive obstacle um, for them then engaging in an active process because they're thinking, well, what's the point? You know, I'm going to end up with needing my knee replaced or my disc, you know, my disc fused anyway. So really, am I just wasting my time? So that, that common message, I think, is really important. The other thing, um, just to um, kind of uh, reinforce what Kay was saying, is that uh, um, Mary Keith uh, published a lovely um, review asking patients what they valued in physiotherapy consultations. And one of the key things they valued was patient, the therapist taking time to educate them about their problem and um and that wasn't considered to be a, a like a high value treatment by the physiotherapist but i think it's such an important thing to sit down and spend the time to educate the person in the same way that you were talking k around the benefits of all of these factors and the evidence base behind that and send them to youtube clips to reinforce that this is something that's likely to be really beneficial and these are the goals and that align that spending that time to align goals set short-term long-term goals that then really um value adds to the, the the exercise component and the lifestyle aspects that you're addressing um too many patients come to us saying i've been given a bunch of exercise I don't really know why I'm doing them I don't really see how they benefit me and so I've really just given up and so I think we can be a lot better of how we create adherence um, uh, to exercise by really being very clear and effective in our education that marries with that process.
0: Thanks so much Peter really appreciate you being on the BJSM podcast always a pleasure and Professor Kay Cosley
1: thank you for having me
0: You're listening to one of the over 300 BJSM podcasts. I encourage you to check out others using our app or from the SoundCloud site. BJSM Twitter will get you to a lot of sports medicine content at BJSM underscore BMJ. And our Facebook has over 70,000 followers. So look forward to sharing sports medicine, sports physiotherapy, health tips with you. Thanks for listening today.